miss that guy. It's our last week in the series, and I'm going to miss that guy, you know, Jesus, who's like, huh? Uh, I never said that. This is our last week in this series, um, and uh, uh, real quick, I just want to, um, you know, some of you guys know I was out with COVID this week, um, and so if you're in the front row and you want to move, I'm fine with that. <laughs> I did my mandatory uh, quarantine, and uh, if I, you don't see me after this service, it's just because out of an abundance of caution, I'm not going to get up close and personal with people you know, for, for a few more days just because I don't want to spread this thing around. But uh, I am good and back in action, and I'm excited about that. A couple of things I want to let you know about a few announcements before I get into my sermon today. Um, at the end of June, we ha- are going to be joined with a new uh, staff member at Fremont Community Church. Uh, we have hired a full-time worship minister who is also uh, has uh, ministry experience as a kids and youth pastor, kind of a Swiss army knife position for us. And given the size of our staff, that is a big deal. We need people like that. Yeah. Um, and so Ty Hall uh, is a guy I know from uh, previous ministry experience, a close family friend and someone I've mentored. And so I'm really excited about Ty coming and joining our staff and, uh, you know, I, I like leading worship. I just don't want to do it as much as I've been doing it. So uh, Ty is going to come and fill that gap for us. One of the things that means for us is we've got a lot of different part-time worship leaders. Some of them are part of our church and are going to continue doing that. Others uh, maybe not so much. And, and one of the things I want to do is acknowledge that Mark Canoli has been a worship leader at this church for a long time. And he is well-loved. Um, and, uh, and so while this kind of eliminates his part-time role as a uh, worship leader at Fremont Community Church, this is still his church home, and I want to make sure that we, we appreciate him really well. We love Mark, and he's served this church faithfully uh, for many seasons. And so uh, with that, on June 12th, Sunday, June 12th, we're going to have a special time in our service where we honor Mark. Um, we want to thank him for his time here. We want to celebrate uh, all of the amazing ministry and impact that he's had on our lives. And we're going to take a special love offering for him just as a show of appreciation uh, because he has been so um, uh, integral to this church. And again, this is still his church home. He's always welcome here, so none of that changes. But uh, I wanted to just make sure we spent some time uh, letting him know how much we appreciate him. So please be here on the 12th and make sure that you, if, you, if, if Mark's made an impact on your life, you, you write him a note or uh, spend some time in conversation with him just thanking him and sharing some love with him because... It's been such an awesome part of this community. Um, okay, so with that, uh, I, I want to get into our, our sermon for today. Some, some people might know that I love stories of things that were once lost but then are found. Um, I'm fascinated by these stories because sometimes it th- seems like something is gone. It's impossible. It will never be found again. And sometimes that's true, but then other times crazy things happen. This week I was reading about five stories that were Uh, blowing my mind of of ways that things that were lost and gone forever were found. Um, The first one, this is my favorite one of them all, a British man lost his parrot, his pet parrot. And that parrot was gone for four years and returned to him, and now it knew how to speak Spanish. (laughs) That's amazing. That is so great. Um... And he, he took it to the vet to make sure, is this really my bird? My bird didn't know how to speak Spanish. And like, no, this is it. This is your bird. This is the same one. I love that. A, uh, a fisherman uh, once caught a purse that belonged to a former classmate of his who'd lost it 18 years earlier. That's cool. This is funny. A British man lost his wallet in a French bar 
We've all been there. And he got it back 55 years later. Back in France, somebody returned his wallet 55 years later. That's pretty great. All right, here's the one that is the least glorified. A woman uh, accidentally threw her wedding ring in the trash, and she knew she threw it in the trash when she retraced her steps. Uh, so she called the uh, sanitation department, and the truck hadn't finished its route, so they stopped, and a bunch of people got into the back of this truck, and four hours later, they found that ring. That's dedication right there. And all right. Here's a, here's a really good one. This one's probably the most astonishing of all. A man accidentally flushed his class ring down the toilet. And it was returned to him 72 years later. First of all, where did it go that it was found? Maybe somebody who works in sanitation can explain this to me. Uh, who said, hey, let me grab this thing instead of just letting it go? Like, it's fine. Leave it, you know? But no, he, he got it back, hopefully clean. The reason I like stories like this is because I was, as a kid in my family, I was legendary. You lost something, Eric will find it. The most extreme one was my brother. I think, now see, I think he was mad at me that I found these, but um, he had these horrible glasses. His eyes were real bad, and he had these glasses. It was like a, um, a hybrid of like my grandma Joyce's glasses, and this is the 1980s, so we're talking about really high quality frames here. And uh, like those goggles that you see people wear in gym class, it was like a combo of those things, the ugliest glasses ever. So I think he lost them on purpose. He was trying to get some new frames. But in the middle of the night, we were out there because he knew he's, you know, hundreds of dollars of, of he's going to owe my dad because he lost his new glasses. And I found those things in this huge, giant field. And from that day, the legend was born. I was the finder of all lost things. And that legend continued until like six years ago. Um, more than that. 11 years after our wedding, I took my wedding ring off at the gym, placed it in my jacket pocket, worked out. We were in Target. I went to go get my wedding ring, put it on. It was nowhere to be found. It wasn't at the gym. It wasn't at the Target. I ripped a hole in that pocket of the gym. It was gone. And the legend was broken. Uh, <laughs> I'm so fascinated by things that are lost and then found. And, and I think th there's, there's something about the impossibility of it. There's something about things that shouldn't happen happening, which just always kind of blows our minds. And that's why God's grace routinely blows my mind. Because we, we often think that there are people who are too far gone. There are people who are too far out of God's reach. They can't be found. And it's really easy. We're going to talk about this, this, our saying for today, you're too far gone for God's grace. This is something that Jesus never said. And as a Christian, it's easy to go, of course, no one is too far gone for God's grace. It's a cliche that's easy for us to, to to memorize and sort of believe no one is too far gone for God's grace, but it actually challenges some of our most basic instincts about ourselves and about others. And so I want to dig into that a little bit because it seems like, yeah, this is a really easy thing. Read the Bible. Nobody is too far gone for God's grace. We get it, right? But I think we need to dig a little bit deeper so that we see ourselves, we see others, we see the world, and we see God as he really is, as things really are. 
And so we're going to read some passages of Scripture this morning that, that may be familiar to us. But altogether, they demonstrate this idea that God is relentless when he is looking for what is lost. Nothing is beyond his sight and nothing is beyond his grasp. Nothing will stop him from pursuing his lost sheep. But there is a bit of a seed of truth in this, just like all of the things we've, all of the different sayings we've talked about in our series so far. There's a seed of truth in this idea that, that maybe there are people who are too far gone for God's grace. Because we see the stories in the Bible where even if grace is offered, it's not received. Throw out some um, examples out loud, participate. Throw out some examples of, of people in the Bible who hardened their hearts against God. They would, they, God was reaching out to them, but they would not turn around to God. Pharaoh, right? That's the classic one because over and over again, this, this, this concept, Pharaoh hardened his heart, Pharaoh hardened his heart, and then after a while, God hardened Pharaoh's heart, right? Who else? Who else hardened their heart against God? Saul. Who? Yeah, every king of Israel except maybe three, four. <laughs> Right? Who else? Pharisees. Some of the Pharisees, yeah. Jonah? Yeah, for a time. King David? For a time. Judas Iscariot? A rich young ruler? Jezebel? There's all sorts of stories of people who encountered God. They encountered his grace, and they said, I'm good, I'll go my own way. And so I, I bring all these up to say there is a seed of truth. Like, God's grace isn't this magic wand that, like, he sprinkles his fairy dust and everybody's like, yay, everything's fine now. Because we still live in a world that is messed up, and we still harden our hearts against God all the time. And, and much of the problem <laughs> in our world and society is because we often say, no, God, We'll do our own thing. Thank you very much. So it's true. Nobody is too far gone from God's grace, but that doesn't mean everyone receives God's grace. They've been pursued. They've been called to repentance. But they've decided to push God away, and he doesn't force. And that's something that we're going to dig into a little bit later that's really important that we understand about God. But, okay, so that's the seed of truth. Now let's get to what the scriptures say. I'm going to throw out three really famous passages of scripture, one of them uh, a long parable. But the first one is just from Jesus, and he's talking about this idea of he's the shepherd, we are the sheep, right? He says this in Matthew 18, what do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the 99 on the hills and go to look for one that wandered off? If he finds it, truly I tell you, he is happier about that one sheep than about the 99 that did not wander off. In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish. Keeping in this theme of sheep, Isaiah 53, verse 6 says this, We all like sheep have gone astray. It's like Jesus is saying, you're that 100. I left the 99 for you. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. I think it's important that we hear that. Of us all. All of the sins of humanity placed on Jesus. Not just the ones that were good enough to make the cut. All. 
And then this one, this is going to take us the longest to get through, but it's, it's a, it, it, maybe you know this parable well. It's the parable of the lost son or the prodigal son. But I want to dive into this one in particular because it's going to challenge our view of God, of ourselves, and of others. And this is in Luke 15. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. This is the guy who lost his wallet in the French bar 55 years <laughs> later. Got it back now. After he, sprint, after he spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so they began to celebrate. And meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother came, uh, became angry and refused to go in, so his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you. and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him? My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Now maybe you've heard that a hundred times. But let's allow these words to be fresh to us again today. And remind us, first of all, of who God is. The, the parable of the prodigal son is primarily meant to teach us how we should view God. That's the primary purpose of the story, is that Jesus wants us to see this father. He wants us to see this father and it put that character on what we believe about God. And this makes all the difference in the world. If you view God as primarily a judge who's watching the good and the bad that you do and waiting for you to mess up so he can punish you, well, that will definitely impact how you relate with God. 
You know, when I first, uh, I, I didn't do great in school as far as behavior was concerned. Um, I didn't do well with authority figures. And honestly, when I first started to learn about God, I had in mind a high school principal who couldn't wait to catch me in the act again and suspend me for five more days. I really, like, that's how I thought of authority figures. And so when I thought of God as an authority figure, that's what I thought. And that, that my, my conversations where God were like, please don't send me to hell. I'm going to keep doing bad stuff. I just hope I get away with it. You know, like, that was kind of how I related with God. But what if God is a loving father? What if God knows what you've done, even the worst thing you've done? And he knows that you've run far and fast from him. And he's been pursuing you the whole time. That when he sees you turn around, that when he sees you open to him, he races to you, welcomes you in his arms, and brings you close. Now again, if you've been a Christian for a long time, we talk about this all the time. God is our father. God is a loving father. But it's different to actually experience it, to feel it, to live as if that's true. For our primary response to God to go from fear of punishment to relationship. To full confession, because you know everything I've done. To, to knowing that he comes and he embraces us. Now, notice that the guy faced consequences, right? He did. He faced some consequences for his actions. And, and I, I, when I say this, God's grace isn't a get-out-of-jail-free card. You don't, you don't get to skip out on the earthly consequences of the things that we do. That's just the reality of life. Yeah, but in God's relationship, our sins are wiped clean and we're welcomed in. We get a fresh start, a new beginning. Not as sinners or criminals or lawbreakers, but as God's children. And that's the second thing I want us to, that, that Jesus wants us to see in this is, how we read the, the story of the lost son, the prodigal son, it, it impacts how we see ourselves. One of the hardest questions that I have to answer all of the time, and this is just a struggle that I have, and it may be one that you have too. Am I worthy of God's grace? I know that God is a forgiving God. I know that he, that he, 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 Forgive sins. I know that he welcomes people back into his presence, but what about me? I'm especially lost. I'm especially broken. There's something wrong with me. You don't have to raise your hand, but does anybody else feel like that? Like you believe that God is a loving father and he wants to, to forgive our sins. He wants to care for us. He wants to welcome us, but, but not me. I know what's going on up here, and it's not right. I know the things that I've done, the lies that I've told, the ways I've hidden. God can't forgive me, or at least he doesn't want to. And that's, that's exactly what the prodigal son was experiencing when he was going back. He had a, a speech rehearsed, right? All right, I'm going to talk my way at least into a, a you know, low-level job, all right? You know, he doesn't have to welcome me back, but maybe he'll at least let me work and be a farmhand. And he's rehearsing his speech, and he's rehearsing his speech because no way is he going to welcome me back. Not after all I did. I rejected him. I slapped him in the face. I took half of his wealth, and I wasted it. I shamed our family name. 
All the things I was told were, were wrong about this life that I shouldn't do, I went and did. And I'm coming back empty-handed. There's no way he's welcoming me back. And what does the father do? He wraps his arms around him. He kisses him. Puts a ring on his finger. A robe on him. He says, come on, man, we're having brisket. We're going to party. Jesus wants us to see ourselves in this way. That God sees us the way that this father sees that lost son. That when you've run away from God, and when you've stumbled over the same thing that you keep stumbling over year after year, decade after decade, and we think, no way he forgives me this time, no way he welcomes me back. God's a loving father with open arms, and he looks at you, his sons and his daughters, and says, come on, let's start over. You're not too far gone, you're still mine. That question that I ask myself all the time. Am I worthy of grace? The answer is no. But that's why it's grace. That's why we call it amazing grace. It doesn't make sense. It's actually completely unfair. But it's unfair in our favor. And so I have to remind myself of that all the time. Do I deserve God's grace? No. But it's not about what I deserve. It's about who he is and his character. And he freely offers it. But also, l- let me remind us of this. We have a part to play, right? We have a part to play in this. It is God's grace that saves us from our sins. It is God's grace that restores us in relationship with him. It is God's grace that even allows us to walk away from our sinful patterns and mistakes and start fresh. God's grace and his Holy Spirit that empower us to become new people. All of that is true. But notice the way that Jesus tells the story. It's when the, the, the son realizes, what have I done? The best life I could ever have was at home with my father. And I'm over here doing this? What is wrong with me? What have I done? And in the same way, It's when we realize the best life I could have is in the presence of God and I keep running from him. What am I doing? The Bible says it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. And repentance means this. It's not just asking forgiveness. It means turn around. Turn around. You're running in this direction. Turn around. And it's when the the prodigal son turns around that the father sees him a long way off and sprints to receive him and welcome him home. If you've been walking away from God, if you have been turning your back on the grace that God has offered, you're not too far gone for God's grace. But repent. Turn around. Face him. He will welcome you home. The prodigal son humbled himself. He admitted fault and asked for mercy. And here's what's beautiful. The father gave him more than mercy. He gave him grace. And the two aren't synonyms. Mercy is a sparing of a punishment here. Right? 
And he doesn't just spare him of punishment, he gives him blessing. And that blessing comes in the form of relationship. That's how loving a father God is. He doesn't just give us mercy. He doesn't just spare us the consequences, the eternal consequences of our sins. He gives us eternal blessing. God is so good. We're not too far gone from God's grace, not because we deserve grace, because that's how good God is. There's one more thing I want to talk about here. Um, And it's how we view others. How we view others. The brother in this, uh, this passage. Now, I've been the prodigal. I've been the older brother. Been the father to some degree, though I'm not God. Because we've all had scenarios where we've had to welcome people back to grace, right? It's one thing to apply this to ourselves. Sometimes that's really hard for us. There are those of us who find ourselves in the older brother's shoes more than we like to admit. Yeah, God's grace is big, but not for that person. Not for the person who hurt me. Not for the person who bullied me. Not for those kind of people over there who do this thing. God's grace is big, but just not big enough for them. And, man, this is a natural way to feel, isn't it? It really is a natural way to feel. And, and honestly, there's a piece of me that like wanted to scrap this sermon altogether because it feels really trite to say no one is too far gone from God's grace when somebody can walk into an elementary school and just kill children and teachers or go into a church in Laguna Woods and, and kill worshipers because of their ethnicity or to a grocery store in Buffalo and kill people because of the color of their skin And on and on and on it goes. It feels really trite to say no one is too far gone for God's grace. It it doesn't seem sufficient for the world that we live in. And so honestly, like, before I get too preachy on this, I just want to stop and pray because I feel like that's necessary. I know I prayed at the beginning of service, but I want to just stop and pray right now um, for what we're dealing with as a nation. Lord, I pray in the the way that the the psalmists prayed over and over again in lament. How long, Lord? How long will innocent lives be taken? God, why does it feel like you're so far away? Why does it feel like we keep offering up thoughts and prayers for the same garbage and nothing changes? We ask why? And we know that no answer will suffice or satisfy. Lord, we pray for justice in this world. 
and right now we don't see it. We pray for change. I don't know what the answers are, but I'm sick of just having the same conversation and nothing changing. We pray for comfort for those who mourn, and we mourn with them. We pray forgiveness in the hearts of those who are suffering, that they would find, they would see the forgiveness that you offer and mirror that, Lord, for their own sake so they don't have to carry anger and bitterness and hatred for the rest of their lives, God. We pray that you'd give them that grace. And the last thing, Lord, I just pray against apathy for us. We just live in a world where bad news is on the airwaves all the time and it never seems to stop. And for whatever reason, bad news sells more than good news, so it just hits us over and over again. God, let us not become numb. Let us not shrug our shoulders and say, oh, well, nothing we can do. Lord, let us seek justice for those who need justice. Let us seek righteousness even in our laws. God, let us seek your heart in this time. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for taking that time to pray with me. It just felt more appropriate than whatever rant I was about to do. There is no easy answer to this question when we think about these people who do these horrible things. We want justice, and honestly, we want there to be a real and hot hell for people like this. And this question comes up when we talk about this because we live in a, in a, a world that is, is less spiritual. There's less certainty about life and death and what happens after death and these types of things, right? And so when you get into questions like, well, are there consequences for anything that happens in this life? You know, often the conversation will go, well, what about for someone like Hitler? And it's like, oh, is that the bar? Just don't be Hitler and you're fine? Like, what, what, we don't have a good answer. Where is the line for who's good enough and who's bad enough and who deserves punishment and who deserves blessing? The truth is, just like the Pharaohs and the Judases, There seems to be this option that we have to harden our hearts, that God is reaching out to every single person with grace, with a welcome, a Father's welcome. And yet he doesn't force us. He gives us the opportunity to respond to his grace, but some people ignore it and resist it and harden their hearts. I wonder for these people who've committed these most recent shootings, how many prompts did they have from the Holy Spirit? How many times was God knocking on their door saying, stop, don't do this? And yet they chose to move forward. I don't know. I don't know the answer to these questions and anybody that says they do, I feel like we're just making it up. 
Here's what I do know. Jesus' grace is bigger than we can imagine. When they nailed him to the cross, as they were actually nailing him to the cross, his cry was not, damn you people. It was, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. The same Jesus who spent his time with the sinners and the tax collectors. And out of that, we have St. Matthew, a sinner, a tax collector. The Apostle Paul was a murderer. He oversaw the murder of Christians, and Jesus said, you're not too far gone for my grace. David was a murderer and a rapist. And some of you were like, huh? Yeah, read the text again. Read what Nathan says to him. He didn't commit adultery with Bathsheba. He took advantage of her. Sorry, I'm going off on a tangent. Read about it. David was a monster in that moment. Worse than we've been taught. And God punished him. He had consequences for his actions, and yet he was restored. He wasn't too far gone for God's grace. I don't, I don't know what the limits of God's grace are, but I don't know that we can find them. I don't think we can outrun him. I don't think he'll ever stop pursuing us. So, the people you've decided are the worst of sinners, the ones who are too far gone. Truth is, they may keep running from God. They may never accept his grace, but they're not too far gone for his grace. And for you who've maybe been judging them, condemning them, what if you move from condemning to praying that they would soften their hearts, that they would repent and change and experience new life, experience God's grace in a way that transforms them and the world around them? And the people that you're praying for, that you love, that you keep seeing make the same mistakes over and over again, and you're wondering, are they too far gone for God's grace? The answer is no. Don't stop praying. Don't stop loving. Don't stop reminding them of the God who pursues them. They're not too far gone. I remember, um, I've previously mentioned my issues in school and authority figures. There were teachers who thought I was too far gone. I was a hopeless case. Invest in the other 29 kids in this class because that one is a lost cause. And I was like, cool, I'll just sleep over here. You'll leave me alone. I like that. But there were a few that didn't. And I learned later that they were Christians. And they would make me stay after class. I'm like, bro, I didn't want to be in class. You think I want to be here? And he's like, I remember one particular, John Moyer, he said, what, what's wrong with you? What are you doing? Who do you think you're hurting with this? You're better than this. You can change. You could have something more. And at the time, I just kind of blew it off. And he never gave up on me because he knew there was a God who was chasing after me. This man, <laughs> who's still a, a, a deacon, maybe even an elder at the church that we attend when we're in Ohio now, he knew that God was chasing me and he wouldn't give up. And maybe you've been in his shoes where there's somebody in your life where, that just keeps running from God and you want to give up. 
because you're like, they're too far gone. Don't give up. Don't stop praying. This is a mission that God has put on all of our lives. There is a world that is running away from Jesus. And Jesus chased us down. And it's like a, it's like a team marathon. And all of a sudden, he's like, come on, come with me. Let's go running. <laughs> and some of us have to puff our inhalers. But then we're like, all right, let's go. And he's asking us to join the chase. To show the, the, the immeasurable grace of God that's available to anyone who will turn around and receive it. We talk about being a missional church. That's what we're talking about. It's, it's believing the insane reality that no one is too far gone for God's grace. Anyone who trusts in the Lord will never be put to shame, the scriptures say. And the last thing I want to say before we spend some more time in worship is this. I want to bring it back to how we view ourselves. If you're like me and you constantly wrestle with yourself and you wrestle with God because you don't believe you're worthy of God's love and grace, just look to Jesus. He went to the cross for you. He had all of us, but he had you on his mind when he did that. He didn't go to the cross so he could say, yeah, my grace is for everybody except you. He didn't do that. He gave everything that you might receive the grace and affection and presence and eternal life that comes from knowing God. So I want to remind you today that, that he is chasing you. You don't have to run anymore. You don't have to wonder if you're worthy of his love and grace. You're not, but that's why it's amazing. He loves you despite your worst sin, the worst thing you ever thought, said, or did. And he'll stop at nothing to wrap his arms around you and welcome you in as, your, as his son or daughter and say, welcome home. Pray with me. Jesus, we are just so thankful this morning for this grace that you've offered us. We call it amazing grace because we, we truly should be amazed by it every day. I don't deserve a single ounce of the grace that you've shown me. I don't deserve your love. I don't deserve your presence. I don't deserve the life that you give. And yet you freely give it. Jesus, for anyone in here who is holding on to a grudge, holding on to a lack of forgiveness, I'll never forget that phrase, Lord, that we're just holding ourselves in jail for a crime somebody else has committed against us. Lord, give us the kind of forgiveness that you have. Help us to move from condemnation to prayer. Help us to hope the best for that person, that they can repent and receive new life, change. God, for those of us who struggle to see you as a loving father, 
for those of us who struggle to think that your grace is sufficient. Help us, Lord. Help us to stop beating ourselves up. Help us to see that your, your arms are open. That the speeches that we prepare as we come back to you to try to convince you of something you don't need convinced, you already love us. You don't need to talk, be talked into loving us. Help us receive that, to let, it, to, to let us feel that in our bodies, to, to let our shoulders relax, to, to feel the grace, to know your presence. We need it. Let the testimony of the grace that you've shown in our life shine so that others might see it and have it for themselves. And Lord, as we sing this song, this, this, this song that sounds almost irreverent about your reckless love, it's weird to say that anything you do is reckless, but it was reckless. You were willing to wreck your body. You were willing to give everything, to take on all sorts of harm, to show your love to us, to show your grace to us. God, help us to experience it. Help us to, to live in light of it. That as we repent and as we turn away from the things that keep tripping us up, Lord, remind us of your reckless love and help us to live in a way that honors it. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.